Alrighty, guys. So off the bat, y'all are going to notice some differences. The first one would be that I'm by myself. Abby is out this week, so y'all are stuck with me. Alrighty. So this week, if you read the title, it's going to be about John Bonet Ramsey, which honestly, I am fascinated by this case just because there are so many things that could have gone on that didn't. So we're going to start in 1996, December 26th, the day after Christmas in Boulder, Colorado. So John Bonet was six years old. Her name is weird. I know we have to acknowledge that. So her name actually is a combination of her dad's name. So her dad's name is John Bennett. So her mom and dad were like, let's get all cute and name her John Bonet. That is her first name. Just her first name. Last name Ramsey. It's still weird. In 1996, John Bonet was a little six-year-old pageant queen, and she's just playing around her house, you know, day after Christmas, playing with her toys, whatever. So her dad scurries downstairs into their basement and finds little John Bonet. They're looking around, dead. don't know what's going on. They call the police, of course as any loving parent would do. And they're just trying to figure out what happened. Wouldn't you want to know? Honestly. So to this day, this case is still unsolved. Mainly, I think, is because they basically had a little party after they found their daughter. You know, day after Christmas, who isn't going to invite everyone over? So they're just chilling, hanging out with their friends, everybody showing everybody the body, which is really weird to me. But we're going to find a three-page ransom note asking for $118,000, which to anyone else I would think would sound really weird. Because it's very specific. Like, if I was going to go for something like that, you know, I'd do, like, 200 Like, go big or go home. Like, a million dollars. Because John Bennett was apparently, like, a real well-to-do and highfalutin, whatever you want to call it. So, he's literally just reading over this ransom note over and over and over again. And, of course, he sees this amount. Keep in mind, this is the amount that is specifically his Christmas bonus amount. I wish that was my Christmas bonus amount. That would be awesome. But her specific cause of death, as stated by the coroner's report, is asphyxia, 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 by strangulation associated with cranial craniocerebral trauma. You would think, used to be a biology major, that I could pronounce these words. Bless. 
So her injuries included a skull fracture, the craniocerebral trauma. She was sexually assaulted and strangled with a garrote made from one of her mom's brushes. So she was put through the ringer, literally. And I think that is just so wrong and so messed up. And who would do this to a six-year-old? You have to be severely messed up to do this to a six-year-old. But, of course, once the police finally show up, I think they said, like, five hours later, which, give credit where credit's due, I found all this information on biography.com as well as a website from John Philpin, who has theories on the intruder theory. Okay, we'll get to that later. So, the police show up, they're doing all their investigations, they let John move her body from where it was in the basement, which is not smart, contaminating the crime scene, don't do that. So, they then (laughs) interviewed the parents together. That's not something you do ever. Literally, their number one rule of doing an interview of parents is that you don't do them together so that they can't corroborate their story. Okay. Sorry, y'all. The allergies are just getting to me this year. So, after all of that goes down, all of the mishandling of the evidence, all of the hey, if you want to come interview with us, like, that's fine. But if not, don't worry about it. Like, that's not how this works. Also, we're going to go ahead and apologize for Phoebe's toy squeaking. That is the only way I can get her to not chew on the mic. Alrighty, so we're going to move on to the trial in 1999. My birth year, this was literally, if I... I'm trying to think because my birthday is December 31st. So if that would be like three years later, like three years and some days. So sad. She would have been nine on my birthday. Dang. But the grand jury actually wanted to indict the parents. But the DA of Boulder, Colorado wouldn't allow it because or he didn't charge them because there was insufficient evidence. Which is true because the only DNA that was found and the only thing that you can do in 1999 is basically survey what you have and kind of get together what you need. But DNA testing wasn't as far, wasn't as far and... There were a ton of different things that have progressed throughout the year, throughout the years, that can astronomically move on the research and the, um, what's the word? Investigation. Wow just ugh. okay so being able to move on in the investigation so they can 
gather their evidence and move on in their investigation. But this technology wasn't, it literally wasn't invented. It hadn't come that far. So you got to work with what you've got in 1999. So their theories were an intruder. Their other theory was... So the only thing that they could do was look at the family, really. Their theories were that the family could have possibly done it, like the parents and or her older brother. Or their other theory was that an intruder could have kind of come in and done it kind of like a neighbor or their housekeeper which we'll get into that so in 2016 her older brother was actually on dr phil to break his silence that he's had for all these years of course he brought no new evidence because he only knows what he's been told by the police but he was one of their main suspects back in 1996 so the intruder theory which, honestly, the reason why we, well, I, I switched up this episode because I didn't want to leave Abby out of the Irie Yarmolenko case. But the reason why I picked this one is because I actually saw a TikTok. It was sent to me by a couple friends. And it was talking about how the intruder theory is actually one of the most solid theories that they've had. Because the parents were actually... Um, I think in 1999, no. Okay, so this is where I got the John Philbin stuff. So John Philbin actually found that John Bonet was, in fact, sexually insulted. That is something that the 1999 grand jury solidified. And he found that the DNA that was found from her sexual assault did not match either one of the parents or Burke, which moves out the family theory. So whenever we move on to the intruder theory, John Philbin has a lot to say about it. And although they know that the $118,000 was the specific amount of John's Christmas bonus, his actual bank statements were laying out on the counter. So anyone in the house, all of his friends that had come over, whoever walks through this house is going to know exactly his Christmas bonus amount. And that's one of the things that they left out of one of the original investigations and what things that they had done to sort of understand why the parents would have done it. The intruder theory also says that it could have, they could have come and gone through the basement window, which John says that he broke while before the actual day of December 26, 1996. And I don't know how much I believe of that because why would you break a basement window to get into your house if you've locked your keys out of your house? I don't think that's something that you would do. Honestly, I'd be like getting on the telephone of a neighbor and calling my wife and be like, hey, can you let me in? Not breaking a basement window. That just seems weird to me. So also, if the window was already broken... 
why wouldn't an intruder just be like, oh, hey, open window. Like, that's totally reasonable. That's totally something that a pedophile and a creep would do. So that is another part of the intruder theory and that the shrubbery outside of the window was actually recently disturbed. That's something that you can see just because you know how whenever you step on something like that, it's going to stay indented. So the intruder suspects are actually Gary Oliva, who is a registered pedophile, but he was in the area and he was one of their original suspects, but he was cleared by DNA in 99. So I think the one that the TikTok that I saw was talking about Keith Schwinneman. He was actually in prison for sexually assaulting a different child and admitted to committing the crimes in Boulder, Colorado in 1996. So he denies actually being involved in the JonBenet case, but says that he was committing crimes in Boulder in 96. So like, hey, it could have been me. I was raping kids then too. But I don't think he was ever charged just because a, hey, I might have done it, is it really confession? So the last one is actually going to be Linda Pugh Hoffman. So she was actually the family's housekeeper and she was having some money problems and she, of course, had a key. But the DNA was collected from her and it didn't match anything, of course. So she's been cleared by DNA. So the only one that really hasn't been cleared by DNA is Keith Schwinneman. Keith Schwinneman. Wow. That is a really hard name. But what kind of draws me to the JonBenet case is that her family never said, no, we didn't do this. That was the part that kind of shook me. Because they essentially were just sitting back along for the ride, like letting the police do whatever they thought they needed to do. Even though they basically ruined the entire crime scene and had a party while their daughter was dead in the basement. That's the part that I'm like, maybe they could have done it. Because that is just so disrespectful and so wrong. And I don't understand how anybody can do that while your kid's downstairs. But there was a theory that because of JonBenet's stomach contents that she was actually murdered the following morning or something like that I think or like the night before there's some discrepancies there because apparently after dinner she would always have this certain snack and that Burke was like really mad at her and that's the theory that he was actually the one who like smashed her head in but I don't think an older brother like that would actually like sexually assault a little kid like like that like that well my mouth is kidding (laughs) like I think my brain is literally thinking too fast for my mouth so the parts that just get me every single time is that there is no solid person in this case A six-year-old was murdered and sexually assaulted and strangled and hit in the head. And there are so many things that could lead to someone being convicted and charged with this murder. But they're just sitting on it. I feel like there is something that could be done to solve this case since it's literally been 
oh my gosh, like what, like almost, uh, let's see, 1996 to 2016 would be a decade, almost two decades since this murder happened. I just don't think that DNA has come this far and evidentiary, not psychology, but science. Why am I trying to say Scientology right now? We are not talking about that today. So just that the evidentiary science and the forensic science has come so far that I don't understand why somebody can't figure out who murdered this child. This beautiful, big old, blonde-haired, southern... She wasn't southern. Oh, I am. (laughs) Ha ha! I was never a pageant queen, though. I wasn't that Southern. I didn't even know that was something they did in Boulder, Colorado until today. Not today, but like whenever I found out about this case. Um, there are just so many different things that could just solve this case. And I just don't understand how people are just sitting on all of this information. And they're sitting on the fact that DNA could literally be run through CODIS or be run through whatever it needs to be run through and seeing that it could literally find somebody who is in the system because somebody who does this to a kid, I'm telling you right now, there's no way that they've done it just once. Like, um, Keith Schwinneman was talking about, he literally was like, yeah, I was committing crimes and 1996 in Boulder, Colorado. So what says that he's not the one who did this? Because there's no DNA. There's no nothing. There's literally just an open case that nobody cares about anymore. That's honestly why I wanted to start this podcast. Let's get off on a little tangent here for a second. So I actually wanted to start this podcast because of listening to Delia D'Ambra's coverage of the Outer Banks murders and how she went back to her hometown of Kill Devil Hills and found out that there was a 30-year cold case that had just been unsolved. They had a ton of stuff, but they literally never did anything with it. And there were so many things that could have solved this or just brought some more attention to the case. And I think that's the reason why a lot of cases go cold is because the police departments are understaffed. They're pressed by the media in the beginning, but then once they get this other big shot, nobody cares. Nobody cares about the little girl who was murdered 25 years later whenever there's somebody else being murdered down the street, which this world is awful. There's no way to stop these people except for catching them whenever they do these horrendous things. But there's a way to track these people and understand what they're thinking. Honestly, John Douglas and the FBI and the BAU is one of the things that I have noticed is so crucial in being proactive and catching these people and getting into their heads and knowing exactly where they're going before they know where they're going. 
So that's why I like all of this criminology and the forensic science of it all. And just the fact that you can literally tell from somebody's DNA whether they were here or whether they were not. And you can actually do what's called genealogical testing now, where if somebody else's sibling, brother, dad, whatever, is in a database somewhere, you can actually find them and be like, hey, did you ever know that this person may have been this person? And they might have committed this crime and this and this and this. And that's literally something that you can figure out based on whether or not somebody's family is in a database somewhere. Connecting those genes and connecting those family members and realizing that like, hey, your family member might have committed this crime 20 years ago. That's actually another podcast that I've been listening to. It's called Solvable. It's by AudioChuck, of course. And literally... They just found out that this little baby and her mom were murdered these some odd years ago. And literally, they found the mom's sister through genealogical testing and figured out that, like, they figured out this baby's name and this mom's name that they never knew and they didn't know that they were murdered. This is such a fascinating thing to me. I mean, it opened up so many questions and it opened opened up a technically cold case that wasn't a cold case because they originally, if you don't know who this body is, you can't really open a case to figure out who they are and what happened to them. So knowing this baby's name and knowing who it is and where they were and who they were connected to and how they could have gone missing and all of these different things literally opened up this case that has been sitting for 30 years or however long. And that just blows my mind. And I love stuff like that. And I don't understand why people think that it's just like it doesn't affect them. That's why I want to talk about stuff like this on our podcast, because I just want y'all to understand that there are people out there whose family members are missing. There's people out there whose family members were murdered and the person has not been caught. And they're sitting there waiting on closure and they're waiting on somebody to tell them that their family member has seen justice and that their daughter can rest peacefully because their killer has been caught or their wife's killer has been caught. There are so many things that can bring these people together and bring, bring these cases to conclusion and bring closure to these families. And that is something that I just really want to do more than anything is I want to bring awareness to these unsolved cases and I want to be able to push the media and help people understand that these people aren't just people you hear about in Boulder, Colorado, in Kildable Hills, Outer Banks, anywhere else. Our next case is going to be Ira Yarmolenko. She actually was a UNC Charlotte student like myself, and there is a possible suicide aspect of this, but... There was never a person solidified and 
shown to have committed this murder. And I think that's really sad. There's another case in Charlotte of a triple homicide that is still a cold case to this day. We have no idea what happened. The police have no idea what happened. And there's literally so much that can be done now. But because there are still things happening now that they need to be on top of that the things like this just get pushed under the rug. And I'm not blaming anybody. I Y'all, I know that the police departments are super stretched. I know that this is a whole thing. But if there's no one talking about it, then how are they going to know that people care? That's the thing. Everybody deserves to know that somebody cares. Everybody deserves to know that there is somebody out there thinking about them and fighting for them on a platform that they don't have access to. That is my goal. That is my goal to bring to people the idea that, hey, I'm here. I hear you. We hear you. We are going to speak out for you. So if y'all have any cases or y'all know anything about any of the cases that we talk about on here, just email us, DM us, do whatever you can to get in contact with us. There's a million different ways on our website. If there is a change.org, if there's a petition we need you to sign, we are going to be blasting that everywhere. Y'all, if there's something we can do to help these people, we are going to be doing it and doing it tenfold. We are going to be trying to get these people convicted. We're going to be trying to give these families closure. Just, I know I've said that multiple times, but literally there is something about being able to bring home these loved ones that deserve to know that somebody's there and somebody cares about them. So if y'all have any cases that you think we need to cover, if there's anything that y'all think we that we should know, feel free to reach out. You know we're always here. You know we're always going to respond to you. You know we're always going to be here every Friday morning. You know where to find us. And that's been my two cents, y'all. This has been the John Bonet Ramsey case. I'm Grace, and you listen to Criminal Cafe. Oh.